for years now, the, there have been groups of pastors and lay leaders across the United States that have gathered periodically to pray for revival and to seek revival. And this has been going on for years. Most of my ministry, I can think of leaders and teachers who have encouraged God's people to pray and seek for revival. And as we seek him, we need to know that God is seeking us. In 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And that word loyal means simply undivided or unhewn. It was the same word used to describe the stones that were used to construct the altar. They couldn't be cut stones. They were natural stones. And he says that God is looking for people whose hearts are undivided, whose hearts are whole for him. And I believe God's at work in Wynn, Arkansas. And I pray that we might be that people who pull the plug out of the heavens so that God can pour out what he desires to pour out. For the Sunday nights where we meet for worship in June and July, uh, I have asked the staff pastors of Wind Baptist Church to preach. And I recall years when I served on staff in a church and didn't get to preach and was chomping to preach and wish I had the opportunity. And God has blessed us with a stable full of preachers, uh, men who can preach. And so we have asked them and scheduled them to come and speak. We're going to have each of our staff pastors do that. Uh, Ryan Perkins, who is our uh, student intern this summer, he'll be preaching. Chance a newborn, our mission pastor, will be preaching. So we've lined them all up for June and July. You don't want to miss a Sunday night, even though we don't meet next Sunday night. But the ones when we do meet, you don't want to miss because those guys are going to preach. And tonight, we have Mike Ship coming to preach. Now, why is Mike starting first? Because he missed the staff meeting where we scheduled... <laughs> who was going to preach. That'll teach you to miss. So, Mike's a precious friend, and underneath that ruggedly handsome exterior, there is a heart that is loyal to God, that is unhewn, and that beats for him. And so I want to pray for Mike, and then Mike's going to come and share God's word with us, and I hope you'll give him your full attention. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, Lord, what a blessing it is to see something of your truth fleshed out before us tonight as we listen to your young men and women and to hear men and women who pour their hearts out to God. Father, I think of the admonitions, the, the calling that we see in the book of Psalms to sing unto the Lord a new song. And Lord, we have done that tonight, and I believe that blesses you and that pleases you. Father, thank you for the privilege of being part of a church that enjoys and delights in worshiping you. Father, our hearts are open. Our hearts have been prepared. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our ears and grant us a sensitivity to your spirit tonight as your servant Mike comes and shares your word with us. Would you fill him with your spirit, would you anoint him as he speaks, 
And may the words we hear come from your heart, through Mike, to our heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I won't miss another staff meeting. <laughs> I'll bring Joshua sick and everything to staff meeting. It wouldn't have been so bad, but I didn't find out until the next staff meeting that I was actually preaching, which was this Tuesday. So, But uh, it, it is my honor to be here with you and to uh, break God's Word open with you and alongside you. Um, have you ever noticed when you follow Jesus' life and ministry that um, Jesus often skips small talk to get to a deeper point in a conversation. And while Jesus was often sensitive, a matter of fact, um, several times it talks about his compassion for people or how he was moved by a, by a person's situation, Jesus was not about warm fuzzies and ooey-gooey feelings. Have you ever noticed that about, just read his ministry. He is not all about making sure you feel good when you leave church, Okay. And so tonight is no different. As we look into God's Word, we're going to see how He kind of skips the ooey-gooey and the surface stuff and gets right to the point. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6 and uh, verse 25. And we're going to get there in a moment. As you're turning to that passage, uh, let me give you some of the backstory of the events leading up to this, to this point uh, we find in, in John chapter 6 that Jesus had been in Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so he had been there. And while he was there, uh, you may recall that he fed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish. Now, understand about five barley loaves and two fish, which makes this um, really an incredible miracle. It wasn't five loaves, five sacks of Wonder Bread. Okay. We're talking about a little boy's lunch here. What he had was about a half a can of Pillsbury biscuits and a couple of sardines. Think about that. This little boy gave up five biscuits and two sardines, not knowing if he was going to get anything back. And Jesus not only fed 5,000, but if you remember, there were 12 baskets of bread left over. And that's an important point. Keep that in mind. Now, afterwards, Jesus sends his disciples on a cross, uh, the lake, and then in the middle of the night, he gets up and he goes, and of course, he's, the storm comes, he walks on water, gets in the boat, and the Bible says that immediately they reached their destination, which was Capernaum, which was on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. The next day, those, some of those who had been fed, uh, and a part of that 5,000, got to looking for Jesus and realized not only is his disciples gone, but Jesus is gone as well. And so they began to look for him, and they realized, they hear, that he is over at Capernaum. So they load up some boats and head over there. And when they find him, in verse 59, it says that he was in the synagogue. Now, it's important to realize that not only are the people from Bethsaida there, but there's also probably some people from Capernaum there, but there's also the religious Jewish leaders in the presence, overhearing this discussion that the folks from Bethsaida and Jesus are about to have. So if you have your Bibles, look with me to verse 25, and we'll read here for a minute. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, wait a minute. Stop right there. First of all, how many, how many of those people actually knew Jesus? Out of 5,000 people, how many of you, you get the feeling they kind of walked up and went kind of like, well, hey, Jesus, where you been? 
like they're longtime friends, like they knew each other before he left, and they just left him behind. And, and so they're, they're kind of making this small talk. Rabbi, when did you get here? Surprise meeting you at a place like this, the synagogue. But Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent him. Now that phrase, the works of God, can also be translated what God requires. This is what God requires, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, I want you to notice, remember what I said earlier, oftentimes Jesus will sidestep the small talk. Matter of fact, he never even addressed their initial question. Their initial question is, Rabbi, when did you get here? Hey, Jesus, fancy meeting you at a place like this. When did you get here? As though they didn't expect to see him there. But he doesn't address their question. Instead, he turns to their real issue. Why are they really there? What are they really doing there? And he points to their motivation for seeking him out. And one thing I know about God that I've found in my own relationship, and when I look at, at, at God's word, is that he will oftentimes sidestep our questions and our desires to get to our motivations, to our real and root reason, to the why of our questions and our issues. Now, to be honest, Let's be honest, God could answer our questions, and there are times when he does. But our questions, like the people who tracked him down, often reflect a deeper issue. See, it's at that motivational issue where true change really occurs. Because it's when our motivations, our, our core reason for, for our questions, it's when those things are changed and our questions change. It's where life change really takes place is at our motivational level. Now, they were there because Jesus met their physical need. And, and to be honest, they just wanted more. Jesus points that out. It isn't about, they didn't really care where Jesus, when he got there. Jesus says, you, it's not about, you know, your relationship with me. All you want is me to give you more stuff to meet a physical need. But Jesus, get this, did you see how he pointed them to a deeper aspect of their life? He pointed them to their spiritual well-being. I don't know if you got that shift in the conversation or not. That's exactly what he does. See, Jesus is helping them understand that while physical food is necessary and it's important, spiritual food is even more important. And while they pursue the food to satisfy their physical hunger, that food will not last. You see, the food for their spiritual needs which, as Jesus said, endures to eternal life. That comes from Jesus. As a matter of fact, it is Jesus. Now, after he shares this, then did you see their next question? What must we do? What does God require us to do? Now, you have to understand that if they have a Jewish background, they come from a, a heritage of doing and not doing. 
the Ten Commandments that Moses gave him was about what to do and what not to do. The whole Levitical law was about what you do and don't do so that you can be in good standing with God. And so, so we look back and go, oh, they're just all about works. No, they come from a heritage of doing. And so they were simply asking a question. I think it was an honest question because that's their background. But Jesus directs them to what God really requires. It wasn't about doing stuff or not doing certain rules. See, Jesus said it's about believing. It was about faith in whom God sent, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was saying it's, it's not about a mental decision that you make that you go, hmm, there's Jesus, he fed, he walked on water. Yeah, I think I'll believe in him. Yeah, I think Jesus existed. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's good enough. That's not what he's talking about. See, that word believe literally means faith. It's, it's translated putting trust into action. How many of you sat down tonight in that pew and you tested it? You want to make sure that Danny and the maintenance staff had made sure that those pews were in good shape, that if you sat down, you weren't going to fall? Danny, if anybody falls, I didn't set this up, I'm telling you. We don't. We just sat down because we trusted that they would hold us up and everybody else on that pew with us. That's putting faith and trust into action. When you drove here tonight, you trusted that everybody else on the road would obey the, the laws of the road, right? That they would stop at the stop signs and stop at the stoplights and let you go when it's your turn, that they would use their signals and, and not just, you know, make a left-hand turn in front of you. You, put, you trusted that they would obey the same laws that you're obeying. You put trust into action. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Do you trust me with your life, with your spiritual needs? Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have been like these people from Bethsaida and been so busy doing that you forgot about trusting? We get so busy serving and doing it, and, and good stuff, not bad things. Man, we're, we're providing for our families. We're involved in balls and, and, and you know, stuff we do as a family. We're involved in worship, and, and we may even be teaching or leading in a ministry. But we get so busy doing that we forget about the trusting. See, one thing I know is that when I get busy doing, I don't have time to trust. And so it's not a both and. This is an either or. Are you doing or are you trusting? Are you trying to earn God's favor? Or do you trust your life with him? Just something to think about. Let's go on. Verse 30. Read with me. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? Here we go again. That we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? See, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread. From heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread. Now, I don't know if you follow this conversation, do you get the feeling when they're asking for signs that you went, What don't you get about feeding 5,000 people? I mean, if I'd have seen that, I'd kind of went, Oh, that's kind of cool. I'd remember that. 
When I looked around and nobody had anything to eat and I saw Jesus holding up five biscuits and two sardines and then he starts breaking that and we all eat until our fill and then I see the disciples go by and pick up 12 baskets full of bread left over. I think Adam might have remembered that. Anybody that would have had an impact on their life? But you kind of think, man, don't these guys get this? Weren't they there? What What did they miss? Because they go to their default again. What work do you perform? But again, Jesus doesn't address their, their question, does he? He goes directly to the larger issue, and that was where did the manna come from that they boasted about from their fathers? It wasn't from Moses. It was from God, right? He said through, now understand, through their tradition and through their, uh, their teachings, they may have been taught that Moses actually provided, they may actually believe that Moses provided the manna while their forefathers were in the wilderness. The reality is that God provided it, right? But here's the thing about manna. While it sustained them for 40 years, it wasn't meant to last, and it never really satisfied them. And here's what we see. Jesus redirects them to himself. It's not about the manna. Let me tell you what it's really about. He said, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And that word true in in, in the original Greek is translated uh, genuine or original. Do you get that? Jesus is saying, I am the original bread from heaven. I am the genuine bread from heaven. And God provides that. Now in... 635, that next verse, here's what we, this is the crux of the entire conversation. This is the linchpin. Because Jesus then said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I don't know if you really get the depth of what Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's very deep and very profound. Because on one level, Jesus is declaring his deity and his equality with God. He says, I am. Jesus uses the same term in the Greek that God used in the Hebrew to tell Moses, hey, when they ask who sent me, who sent you, tell them, I am. It's the same title that God said, use for me my name. Jesus said, that's who I am. Now, we have a difficult time translating this into English because our English language really doesn't have words that really gives its full meaning and and dynamic of the title. But it's where we get the name for God, Yahweh. And you may have already known that. But here's what it's translated to be. you, You have to kind of think through what God was saying. It literally means, I will be who I will be. Or another way of saying it is, God is who he is because he is who he is. God is God because he's God. And there's some depth in that, in that statement right there. You and I could sit here and, and discuss for, for, for hours on end the depth of that statement. God is who he is because he is who he is. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying. I am he because... I am he. And so in that one statement, I am, 
he declares his deity and his equality with God. Now listen, that didn't fall on deaf ears. Remember when we talked about he was in the synagogue? That the people from Bethsaida, the people from Capernaum, but also the Jewish leaders. I guarantee you when Jesus said, I am, that their ears perked up. Their eyebrows kind of raised because they knew that Jesus was declaring that I am God. I am from God, I am God, and I'm equal to God. Oh, people, that right there, man. Whoo, there was some there was some hackles raised, there was some hair standing on up on back and necks, there was some shaking going on underneath some underneath. I mean, people were getting a little anxious there. Because he had just declared himself God. He wasn't just saying, hey, I'm a loaf of bread. He said, I am God. And then he goes on to, to define his relationship with you and with me. Because on another level, he says, I am the bread of life. Now, here's, I want you to do an experiment with me. Work with me. Now, I, I guarantee you, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, but I'm not going to hit you with anything. And nobody throw anything, okay? So close your eyes with me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture in your mind's eye your very favorite meal. I don't want just the entree. I want you to pick the sides that go with it. I want you every detail of that meal. I want you to picture that. All right, y'all need to wake up because some of y'all are starting to drool. And some of y'all need to kind of go like this, okay? Um, you need... Wives, help your husbands. If you see some, wipe it off. Did you get a picture of that meal? The entree, the sides, maybe the appetizer, dessert, everything. I have two favorite meals. One of them I grew up with, one I learned to appreciate later on. The one I grew up with is, is pinto beans and cornbread with some home fried potatoes with some onions in it with a side of onion or a little pepper. With a, with a, I mean, and I don't want no, uh, Mike, I don't mean y'all, but I don't want no little restaurant size of iced tea. Because if you give me that, just give me a picture. I want like, y'all remember, I remember growing up at my grandma's house, we had them big gold glasses, y'all remember? And they were about a quart size. You could fill one of those up and they last an entire meal. And then my grandparents had a lemon tree in their yard outside of San Diego. And you'd get fresh lemon and it'd be juicy. It wouldn't be hard like in the grocery store. And it'd be soft and juicy. You, you just cut a plug out of it and let the juice run in there and squeeze that in there. How oh, lousy. <laughs> my. That's a meal there, my friends. But here's one I come to appreciate later in life. I really, really enjoy a good steak. Anybody with me on that? I want, something, I want something with some flavor. I want something with some thickness to it. I want something with some juice in it. I don't want it. Do not serve me a piece of shoe leather. I want some pink in the middle. I want it juicy on my plate. I want a nice, crisp, green salad with some radishes and some vegetables in it with some cheese. I don't care. I mean, you throw egg. Just throw stuff in there. All right, and then put some oil and vinegar, vinaigrette dressing on it, and then I want a nice, big, soft, mushy, uh, sweet potato with some of that butter just melting inside of it. So when you mean it, it gets kind of all mushy and good in there, and you have some of that cinnamon on top of it, and then another big old glass of unsweet iced tea with a lemon dripping off of it. Now, anybody hungry? Amen. Yes, brother. <laughs> you see, I, I've had a chance to think about this a little while, and man. Anybody see your meal like that? Now, let me ask you this question. Where was the bread in your meal? 
was your bread and your meal? Anybody have an appetizer like they do? A, you know, they bring a loaf of bread over at Outback or, or some steak place. They bring that. Now, I, and I have to tell you, man, Outback brings that warm loaf of bread. You cut that up, put some of that soft honey butter on there, man. Man, you just almost make that dessert. Or if you like barbecue, I love barbecue. You know, we get bread on the side so that when we finish, you don't want to leave any of that sauce on there, do you? Do you, Todd? You want to sop that puppy up, don't you? You want, you want to get every drop. So we use that bread to sop it up, man. We don't want to miss anything. See, for the Israelites, though, it wasn't an appetizer and it wasn't a side. For the Israelites, for many of them, bread was a staple for every meal. Matter of fact, that may have been their meal. It was, it was easy to make, and the ingredients were usually readily available. And so for, for many families, it was bread. That was their meal. That's what sustained them on a, on a regular basis. I don't think we see bread like that, do we? We don't see bread as something that sustains us. We don't see bread as the entree, do we? How many of you go to a restaurant and go, oh, no, just bring me a loaf of bread. I'm good. You know, give me some of that good honey butter on the side. I'm good. Anybody, anybody do that? I don't. Man, I look over to the entrees. I want something that's going to be filling. I want something that's going to... But for the Israelites, bread had been a staple of their diet for centuries, for generations. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, they got it. They got it. They knew what Jesus was referring to. See, what they got was that Jesus was saying, I want to be the main course of your spiritual life. I want to be the entree. I don't want to be a side. I don't want to be an appetizer. I want to be the main course, the main entree of your spiritual life. Now, when I was going to seminary, I used to have to drive from the north side of Dallas, a little community called Plano, down to the south side of Fort Worth, which took about an hour. I had to drive clear across the Metroplex. It took me about an hour to get to Swabitz. That's just what we call Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's just easier to call it Swabitz. So that's what we took to get there. And now listen, I was not only going to school full-time, but I was still working in the corporate world, and I was interning at our church and, and being involved in several different ministry opportunities. And so as I was always going somewhere and there was always something to do, so over time my diet evolved in, into anything on the 99-cent menu at a drive-thru. Anybody remember those college days? 99-cent menu, man. It was quick. It was fast. But let me tell you something about that diet. First of all, it was unhealthy, so nobody start calling you know, people and telling them to call me and I need to change my diet. Okay, I still eat a hamburger. Um, and if it's 99 cents, even better. But, uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, that was unhealthy for me. And to be honest, it really didn't satisfy me but for a little while. Because rather I got to a job, I got back to the church or something, I was already looking for something to eat. You see, if I was going to eat better, it was going to take some sacrifice on my part. It was going to take some planning and, and, and focusing on my meal instead of all the stuff I needed to do and all the places I needed to be. So when Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he's stating that he wants to be yours and my uh, focus of our life. And like my seminary days, spiritually we dine and feast on the things that will only satisfy us for a short while. 
And we continue to keep looking for those things to fill us and to satisfy us. And yet we still keep grabbing what the world offers. We still keep grabbing it at, you know, something else other than Jesus. Because, let's just be honest. If we're going to make Jesus the main course of our life, the entree, the focus of our spiritual life, that takes sacrifice. That takes planning. That takes saying no to something else so I can put him in his right place. And to be honest, some of us just don't want to do that. We'd rather have drive through Jesus or fast food Jesus rather than main course Jesus. And so we treat him as an, as an add-on, just as a sign. Let's just be honest. Some of us worship on Sunday, but there's no focus on him any other day of the week. He's just a side dish. We make a, a mess out of life. We make some bad decisions financially, relationally, with work. And we call Jesus in to be the bread that sops it up, cleans it up for us. We say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to focus on work. And if you want to come, you're more than welcome. Just be my side. Hey, you know what? I'm going to focus on family. And I'm going to focus on friends and stuff and status. And if I think about it, I'm going to invite Jesus. I'm just going to add him on there a little. If we have time, if we're still a little hungry, we'll, we'll fill him. Maybe we'll snack on Jesus. But here's what I know about what Jesus says. He wants to be the main course of our spiritual life. He's saying that he is to be the main course and that everything else is to be served and shaped around him. That everything in your life falls around the entree. So let me ask you this question. What role does Jesus play in your spiritual life? What role does he play? Is he at the center? Or do you have him out there? And if you, once you get through with the entree, if you have enough room, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll add him in there. So here, let me ask you this question. So how does Jesus become the focus of our lives? I think that's a valid question. I think if you were to come to me and said, Mike, how do I make Jesus the focus of my life? I think that's a great question. And I think we see it as we continue to look at this conversation. So look with me at verse 49. Look with me in chapter 6, 49. Your fathers are the manna in the wilderness. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, and this is probably the Jewish leaders who are disputing because they're the ones who are arguing about all this stuff. And they're saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. As the Father, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread 
will live forever. Now let's just step back and put ourselves in the midst of this conversation. I don't know about you, but if I didn't have 2,000 years of looking back on this, I think that'd be kind of a weird conversation to have. We're talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. I don't know about you, but if I was at work and some guy brought that up, I would think I'd look at him just a little weird. I may be the only one, but when I look at this, I'm sure there's some people that raise some eyebrows. Because not only just eating flesh and drinking blood does sound kind of sick, but Levitical law would have prevented them from doing this. If I did this, then I would be unclean. And, oh, we, we ain't going there. But that's not really what Jesus was talking about, was he? See, Jesus was talking about becoming the focus of our life. And to, what Jesus was saying is that if you want to make me the focus of your life, then you need to consume me. I need to be in you. Did you get that? I need to be in you, Mike. Jesus needs to be in you. You see, I, I can't just say I want eternal life. And I want to live for Jesus. I have to take those steps to make it so. That'd be like ordering up your favorite meal at your favorite restaurant, and they bring it, and you just sit there and look at it. I'd be honest, that'd be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? Because if I saw you sitting there, Todd, I'd go, you going to eat that? I want some of that. Don't let it get cold. But yet, in our spiritual walk with Jesus, that's exactly what we do. Jesus, I want you. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for you. But I'm just going to sit here and watch my main course. I'm not going to consume it. I'm not going to let him get in me. That just doesn't make sense. And yet, that's exactly sometimes how we treat Jesus. See, this isn't more about knowing more about God. This is about an active relationship that you and I have with Him. It's about a relationship that places Jesus smack dab in the middle of everything else. And there, it's all shaped around Him. It's about something that is consistent and regular and constant action, something that takes place on a regular basis in our lives, that we're, that we're dining on Jesus and we're allowing him to get in us his mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his power, his justice, all of that, his word, his statues, his desires get in us. That's what changes us. That's what will change our motivation. That's what will change the kinds of questions you and I have for Jesus. It all comes down to the fact that the question is, where is Jesus on my spiritual plate? In my meal, is he the main course? Is he the thing that everything else is shaped around? Or is he just a side? <coughs> Excuse me. Is he just something I bring along to clean up the messes? It's just something I have time for if, if I'm not full on everything else in life. I'm not too busy. As we close, I want to I ask you to do a few things for me. First of all, I want you to answer this question, just you alone. And if you have a place to write this, I want you to write this down. Has there ever been a time when you placed your personal faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Not just Savior, but Lord. 
you've given control of your life to him. If you have, I want you to write that date down. Write it inside your Bible. Write it on a piece of paper. Just write that date down. And here's the reason why. Because I think in our lives, as, as we go through life, sometimes we lose the fact that Jesus wants to be the center of our life. And we stated that we were going to give him control of that when, when we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We were going to make him the center. We were passionate for him. We wanted to consume him. We wanted to spend time in his word. We wanted to pray with him. But over time, we've lost that love, that taste for Jesus. But oftentimes, when we remember the day and the time and we accepted Christ, we'll remember what that was like. I want you to remember when you thirsted and you hungered for Jesus. Now, let me ask you this question. What steps do you need to take to move Jesus from a side dish or an appetizer to the main course, to the entree of your spiritual life? Think about this. Do you need to place your faith in Jesus and invite him to become Lord and Savior? Could you not have a date right there to put in where everybody else put that in? Because if you didn't, man, I want to invite you and I'm going to lead you through that process here in just a minute. But maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you need to take the step of celebrating your commitment you've made to Jesus through baptism and publicly profess the commitment you made privately. Maybe to help you move Jesus from the side or an appetizer into the main course, maybe you need to belong to a small group who will help you do that and help you keep on track. Maybe you need to be in a Sunday morning Bible study. People at our Welcome Center can help you do that. We still have openings in our 2-4 groups that are going to begin meeting this week. You can call the office. Maybe you need to get connected in a small group somewhere with some people who want to help you keep Jesus as the main course. Maybe you need to find a place to serve using your gifts and your passions because I believe me that when you step out on faith and you start serving Jesus, you're going to have to, he'll move to the center because you're going to depend and trust on him in some new ways. Maybe you just need to learn to, de there's something in your life that's bothering you, that's causing you anxiety and you need to depend on Jesus, or you need to learn to rest in him. Maybe tonight you need to name that. You just need to come to the altar and say, God, here's what it is. You need to confess it and, and repent, and you just need to stop doing it and let God take care of that for you. Maybe you need to spend some more time in God's word and, and, and spending time and allowing it to get in you to change your motivations and your relationship with God. Maybe you need to stop feeding the sin monster. And there's a specific sin. When I say that, you knew exactly from, from Brother Don's message this morning, you knew exactly what I was talking about. Tonight, maybe you just need to come down and confess it and say, God, here's my sin monster. I'm confessing it to you. I want to learn. I want to stop feeding it. And you can take Don's message from this morning, those notes, and it will walk you through how to stop doing that. Maybe there's something else you need to do. I, I don't know. But what role does Jesus play in your spiritual life? Because what he wants to be is the main course. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus' teaching. We thank you that God, he, like you, 
cares so much about our relationship with you that he cuts to the chase and gets to the core of the issue. And tonight, Father, we open up this time and invite your presence to come, your power, your spirit to work within us, to consecrate us, to call us out, to stir us up, to challenge us, to move you to the center, the focus of our life and replace whatever's already there with you, Father. If you're here tonight and you couldn't come to tell me a date when Jesus became your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to, to do that right now. And the Bible says that, that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. The Bible says that we can't save ourselves. And some of you have been pursuing everything in the world to fill that spiritual need. But tonight, you can have bread that endures to eternal life. And if that's you tonight, I want you simply to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself. And I'm tired of chasing everything else. And I've come to you tonight. I confess you as my Savior. And I submit my life to you to be the focus of my life. Now, if you pray that prayer tonight, then tonight you just became one of Jesus' closest friends. And I want to encourage you when we stand in a minute that you would stand and walk down the aisle and grab one of these pastors by the hand and said, Tonight I made Jesus the main course of my life and I never want to lose that passion. They will, they will pray with you. They will help you get started in the right place. But tonight, do not leave here still pursuing everything else but Jesus. And if you're a believer here tonight, let me just tell you, there's nothing like feasting on Jesus and allowing Him and who He is to overwhelm us, to fill us up. But tonight, some of us may be at a place where, where we have moved Jesus to the side or an appetizer or, or even a snack. If we have room and we have time, we'll, we'll, we'll get us some Jesus. And tonight, God's been challenging you to say, move me from the side and make me the sinner. And you just need to come forward and, and do one of these steps we talked about. Maybe you just need to confess it. Ask Jesus to help you become the center of your life. Father God, we pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.